0: We share the, the same love the, the love of film. And now what I'm about to say probably will stir up a lot of conversation around over the country. You me homo loving sons of guys. It's not
1: about you. It's about these characters. They are two of the finest gay Americans, two wonderful men. And I am greatly honored and tremendously moved.
0: Don't let anybody tell you this isn't a terrific thrill. It would be a lie if I told you I didn't know what to say because I've been working on this speech for about 25 years. It well, it's my privilege. Thank you.
1: And welcome back to a very special edition, special episode of Academy Queens. We've been talking about this for weeks now, actually, since the end of December. Um, as everyone knows, that when Academy Queens first started, I was very big on placement of actresses based on their screen time. And guess what? I, Joey Gentile, have totally learned, faltered, and grew from that debate. But along the way, came across an amazing website, Screen Time Central, from Matthew Stewart, who has been on the show with us before. And so I wanted to get him on here, talk to Brandon, got our minds together and figured out how do we do the ultimate debate of category fraud between Academy Queens and Screen Time Central, and today it's here. So Brandon, what are we thinking? How are we expecting this to go? Give me your takes.
2: Well, um, I know you're big on the screen time, Uh, not quite as much as you were when we first started this, but I know it's still a big factor for you and uh, it's not quite such a factor for me. But um, here we have Matthew Stewart, who is uh, the stopwatch captain of the Academy Awards Twitter. Uh, But as a little caveat, he's not exactly a screen time person either. Uh, He also takes into consideration other factors, um, sort of like we both do. So um, just because someone's time may imply that they're supporting or may imply that they're lead He himself might not necessarily think so, uh, which I find super fascinating. So I'm looking forward to seeing uh, where he comes down on a few of our um, selections here. Absolutely.
1: And the coolest thing about this was in order to figure out who we were talking about today, uh, all three of us kind of went over 19 I think it was what 1968 at the time and we had been doing this up until 2019 and kind of figured out a handful of performances that we either some of like two of us may agree on or one of us agrees on or whatever it is but we hope that you like the list that we came up with because it's a pretty good one and honestly all the credit has to go to Matthew so Matthew first of all tell everyone who doesn't know how did you get started on this journey.
0: Um, It started about, let me see, I guess about 14, 15 years ago, something like that, when I um, was still a teenager and I just kind of was getting into the Oscars and um, got curious about screen times and, and, you know, back then and and even now, there's nowhere else to find out that information, really. You You can find out a little bit about, people say things about anthony hopkins and in silence of the lambs and stuff that the big ones that people um search the most but there's no like there was no database for it so um i never knew that i would go through them all at the beginning i never knew that i would um have this website at the beginning but i it's it after a few years i settled on that goal to um time all the winners and then time all the nominees um for the like as a service type thing for other people and myself um, to be able to have that information if they wanted it. So it wasn't for me to like sort everyone, uh, all the performances by screen time, you know, sort them lead and supporting by screen time. Cause that's honestly impossible. Once you look at, once you start looking at the data, it, it doesn't work. Um, it was just like Brandon said, it's a tool, um, to kind of help those, uh, hard to figure out um cases you know and so yeah i um have gone through recently on twitter just finished a month ago all of the 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 entire history of the uh, oscar nominated performances since the supporting categories were introduced and determined who i think fi- who i think is category fraud who i think isn't um and very little of that is yeah based on screen time it's it's more on narrative you know uh structure but the screen time helps in some cases. So that back to that, that's why I wanted to create that database so everyone could kind of have that resource to look at. Absolutely solid. Um,
1: I'm thinking, guys, really quick, before actually we get started on this, why don't we start it off with a question? And I think this is actually a pretty cool one to start with before we even get to our uh, debates here. Sound good? Yeah, sounds good. All right, from one of our favorites, we've had him on the show before, uh, Fritz and the Oscars, whose current handle on Twitter is Fritz and Hussevic. Love that, by the way. Uh, wants to know, did Betty Davis have a reason to be mad at Ann Baxter in 1950? Um, so, for those of you who can think way back to the Academy Queens episode of that is a surprise episode in between seasons one and two of 1950. Ann Baxter is actually Brandon's winner in that Best Actress lineup. So, Brandon, why don't you start us off? Did Betty Davis have a reason to be mad
2: at Anne Baxter? Well, I mean, I'm sure Betty Davis really wanted that Oscar. Uh, and, of course, she's going to be mad if she doesn't win. Um, I mean, if this is a category question about Ann Baxter, I think she was in the right category there as a co-lead in All About Eve. Um if it's a, uh, splitting the vote question, um, maybe, I mean, um, I'm not one who thinks that vote splitting happens all the time. I don't think it can't happen. I think that it can, but just because it can, doesn't mean that it will. Um, so I don't know. I think, uh, maybe Miss Davis ought to, ought to chill, but, um, if it's a question of category placement Baxter is correct in being in lead and if it's a question of vote splitting um i don't know that it really would have mattered all that much in the end if she hadn't even been
0: there um i just kind of checked to make sure and and i think the reason she Davis was kind of upset was because that was the first time um two lead actresses had been nominated together you know against each other um and so it, it was a new thing and she you know was the veteran had won twice and been around for 20 years so um i think that that was just what kind of set her off a little bit um it being kind of the unexpected move for baxter to be placed with her um i don't think it was the wrong move though i agree that they both belonged in lead uh so really she had no leg to stand on um and even looking at the screen time they're they're very close if you want to go there um they're both under 50%, 50%, and they're within, uh, I want to say, six or so percent of each other. So um, she was in the wrong there to react that way. Listen, I mean, I've said it
1: before. I said it on that episode. I agree with Brandon, although Ann Baxter is not my winner of that year. Uh, Eleanor Parker is. Um, and is in the correct category. Um, the movie is essentially about her. Um, everyone else takes place in her, or is a part of her story. Um, The movie shows in chronological order about how she goes from fan to the ultimate actress. Um, And it's just a cycle that repeats. Um, And for me, I'm very anti-vote splitting. Um, I, it's in my mind, it's definitely not a thing. Um, I always say, if you can choose a winner, so can the Academy. There've been way too many, um, Uh, Way too many examples of someone uh, winning over their co-star or co-stars. And honestly, yeah, Brandon's right. Betty Davis needs to chill because vote splitting also didn't come into factor until she lost this as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was a rumor started by her. Um, So there you go, Fritz. Started that off with you. And uh, gentlemen, let's do this. So the first uh, performance, actually, that Matthew had thought of uh, for this is Vanessa Redgrave. In 1966's Morgan, A Suitable Case for Treatment is the original title, but it just goes by Morgan in some territories. Really quick about that, Morgan is uh, the blurb on IMDb for it. After his wife leaves him for his former best friend, a failed London artist begins his descent into madness and trying to win her back. Her, the wife, meaning Vanessa Redgrave. Now, here's why we're talking about this one. Brandon's going to state his case first because Brandon thinks she's a supporting actress in this movie and disagrees with the Academy with her placement while Matthew and I agree. She's in the correct category. So Brandon, the floor is
2: yours. So um, when I was watching Morgan, um, I watched it for the first time um, in preparation for that episode. And um, it's the only time I've seen it. So perhaps a rewatch might change my mind, but while watching it, I just kind of, felt as though Redgrave's character felt more like a device, more like a tool for the film than a fully rounded character, um, and a tool that was there in service of the leading man. Um, So I know she has a sizable chunk of screen time. Um, She has quite a presence in the film, but... For some reason, I just never really felt as though she was a three-dimensional person, and that the story was hers, ever. Um, I know it can be more than one person's story in a film, and you can have you know more than um, one lead, of course. But I never really felt as though she got to that level. She was always just there in service of the leading man, and she was you know more there as a as a device than a character. So. Um, that's sort of where I came down on it, and um, I decided that she was more so supporting at the time. And Matthew, your rebuttal.
0: Um, she does have somewhat of a small role, and, I, and if you don't mind, I'll probably just um, be chiming in with the screen time stats. I know that you know, so they, so we can have those with us. Um, she's in with the percentage-wise. Uh, she's in 33.7%. And I actually have timed David Warner, the lead that plays Morgan. He's in um, 68 even. Um, so, yeah, she is in about half compared to him. Um, he might not, you know, don- he when I timed him, I was surprised he wasn't a little higher. Um, and I think that's because of the kind of um, narrative focus she gets to herself a little bit. And that's where I'll start. She, um, I think she is a little bit more than a device to, to serve him, uh, to serve his arc. Um, she kind of fits the, you could say she kind of fits the long-suffering wife trope, um, but I don't think she quite does because I, her, the question of whether she suffers is, um, is up for debate. Um, I think that the story kind of follows the fact that she enjoys um, the kind of harassment she goes through with her ex-husband and kind of plays an active role in um, in whatever love game they're playing she they they kind of he, she kind of doesn't want him to leave her alone even though she is in the process of divorcing him and has moved on to his friend uh she still you can see that she still wants um the harassment to continue she wants him in her life she wants him to fight for her um and to what end we don't know and that and that kind of you know makes you kind of think of follow her kind of as a lead character um cuz you're wondering what it, what is going through her mind um he is definitely more of a lead but the nature of his character um i don't think can doesn't make him a sole lead in my mind uh just because he's so unrelatable um the audience kind of relates more to her the more the more quote unquote normal character uh and like i said i think we kind of get an insight into or we wonder what's going through her mind. Um, and she her, her role is is pretty active. That's what I thought. Solid.
1: So here's where I'm at. I see both of you guys 100% on this, and I understand and can understand both sides to the point of, I think Matthew hit it on the head. This is a character who continues to welcome this harassment. It's it, It's almost like she has a... and a a fear of abandonment, right? She's like one of those people, I think we all know someone like that, who just gets, you know, no matter the situation they're in, if they gotta always be around someone. It almost is, it's like a drug to them. They need that hit. Um, Brandon does make fair points too on um, not so much being a secondary lead here, but kind of just being a puzzle piece to the ultimate puzzle, right? Here's why I have her in lead though. I think I... When it comes to Morgan, I, I don't know how you guys personally feel on the film. I think, Brandon, when we had talked about it, you said it was an okay movie, and I agreed with you there. Uh, Matthew, don't know how if you enjoy this movie so much or not, but the movie really does kind of just falter for me, right? And... She really pulls it together. If you ever watch Morgan, it's literally it's an Oscar It's pretty much. And just to watch it from Vanessa Redgrave, this is one of those performances that is sprinkled out so perfectly throughout the entire thing that if you were to take her out, I don't know if there's any point for this story to continue, right? Because I always do say, and it'll come up later, when it comes to supporting. I feel that most of the time you can take a supporting player out of the movie and the movie could still continue, right? You couldn't do that here. Uh, She's the whole reason why uh, David Warner's character of Morgan continues his hijinks and the whole reason why we have a movie. I mean, if you were to take this character out, the movie wouldn't be able to survive. Um, So due to that alone, I got to put her in lead. Um, so that's my argument towards her. Do you guys have any uh, anything you want
2: to add to that? I wonder how much my um, displeasure with the film may have played into it, because I was not a fan of the movie. I feel like I'm even less of a fan looking back on it than I was in the moment, um, when it was still fresh and we discussed it. Um, it was just a movie that just did not work for me at all, so I wonder how much those attitudes were playing against Redgrave for me in the way that sometimes those things can happen. Um, I also went into it not really knowing anything about it, like even a plot at all, I just kind of watched it. And um, maybe if I had known a little bit more of what I was getting into and the role that Redgrave would have been playing, um, I may have read it a little bit differently. Um, you know, I know we'll, we'll get into a little bit later, but I don't know if the whole take a person out and the movie still works argument works a lot of the time. Um, I know it's kind of one we played around with in our first season, um, but I think there's tons of examples of supporting players that you can't really take out without fundamentally changing the story. Um, so while I agree you can't really remove Redgrave from this film, I don't know if that's um, if that's a solid argument for lead versus supporting. But um, a rewatch of this film might, you know, sway me um, in the other direction, having you know a basis for what the movie's about and who
0: Redgrave is in it. Um, just to say that I kind of agree with both of your points about the taking a supporting character out, um, she I agree with Joey that she um, cannot be removed from this film for it to work. Um, you know it could it could happen I guess the story could be told um, but not really um, because she like I said, she is the one the audience connects with because Morgan is just so out there um, so whatever they were trying to do with the film. Would not have happened without her, um but yeah, I also agree with Brandon that there are a lot of cases where supporting roles um, you know uh yeah where it doesn't apply to all supporting roles um but that goes into where there are degrees of supporting characters there in and, and you know that kind of goes into screen time a little bit there are those there are those with like ten to fifteen percent that you could probably take out um or they could just what what happens with them could just happen off screen or and be talked about later um there are others with you know higher amounts like over a quarter or so um where they need to be on screen for the you know for it to happen so like i said i kind of agree both ways especially in in terms of this film
1: so there you have it. Have you seen Morgan? It's kind of hard to come by with Vanessa Redgrave for first two nominations with Morgan and Isadora. By the way, Isadora is fucking brilliant. Please give us some type of Blu-ray release for this. Um, Really hard to find, but check them out if you can. But when it comes to Morgan, uh, who do you agree with? Is Matthew or, or I'm sorry, are Matthew and I correct with putting her in lead? Is Brandon right with that? She's supporting.
2: You guys decide. Add us. Let us know. Morgan is currently streaming on Canopy. If you have Canopy, uh, you have access to Morgan. Hey, there you go.
1: There you go. Now, again, if they can only just give us access to Isadora, because god damn, was she brilliant in there. So, moving on. We're actually going to continue with this with another question. Um, Jackson DiStefano. Uh Matthew, I'm going to give this one to you first. So, Agnes right. of God and The Favorite have similar character structures, but do but do you think their lead supporting balance is similar?
0: Uh, No. I think, personally, um, I say that The Favourite has three leads and that Agnes of God only has two. I don't think that Meg Tilly is a lead. So Meg Tilly, I think, is supporting because uh, she kind of doesn't play a very active role. The The story kind of revolves around her. She's absolutely necessary. Character, but uh, she is kind of what I call like um, like a mystic type of character. She she doesn't um, have a real leading point of view. Um, the characters who I think are leads, played by Jane Fonda and, and Bancroft, are uh, they're the ones that are affected by her, and they're the ones whose arcs are influenced by her actions. Um, I don't think she kind of leads any of the action and none of the narrative focus is really on her alone. You know, she's kind of always, she's never like shown alone at all anyway. Um, But The Favourite though, I do think has three leads who are all actively influencing the story. Um, I think some people argue that Olivia Coleman does the least, but she's still an active character, especially um, I would say in the second half when she starts to catch on to what's happening to her. Um, Yeah, I don't think they're the same situation.
2: I agree that the favorite has three leads. Um, That's why I uh, disqualified the two supporting ladies uh, during that episode. Um, And I agree about Agnes of God. Um, I recall leaving Meg Tilly in the supporting lineup. I don't remember where I came down on Anne Bancroft. I think she was a trickier one for me, but um, looking back on it, I agree that Jane Fonda and Anne Bancroft are the ones doing more of the active plot movement uh, pushing the story forward, and Meg Tilly's just kind of at the center of it all. So um, I, I agree with Matthew's assessment uh, today. So uh, to go off of Brandon there really quick, I you and
1: I, I believe, actually agreed with um, Anne Bancroft in uh, Agnes of God being supporting, and I, we both disqualified her. Um, in that lineup. She came into fifth for us. And I, I, for me, I stand by that. It's not, it's not her story. She is literally along for the ride. Um, the story is never in her POV. She doesn't like ever guide the story. It is very much Jane Fonda doing that. And the other two are supporting. Um, that's me though with the favorite Rachel Vice is the clear supporting out of that. Um, in my opinion, uh, the, Olivia Colman is the correct in lead, and Emma Stone is a lead. Um, I said it in that episode with Vice, she's there as a best friend role to where that's all really she's doing. Um, When it comes to Emma, it is literally the story is about her. And that uh, trying to become, and not to pun it here, the favorite of Queen Anne. So without Queen Anne, there's absolutely no story. And without Emma Stone doing what she needs to do to push the story along, the story couldn't continue. Rachel Weiss is just having fun. So there you go, Jackson. That's That's our quick thoughts on that. Moving on, though, is The Graduate. A disillusioned college graduate finds himself torn between his older lover and her daughter, All right, so here's where we're at in this, Anne Bancroft. Matthew, you think she's supporting, so start us off.
0: Um, Again, I'll start with the screen time stats. She has 28.2%. And then Dustin Hoffman, who plays Benjamin, um, her young lover, has 87.7%. Catherine Ross, who plays her daughter, who he gets involved with later, has 22.1%. So she's closer to... Her daughter's screen time, Katherine Ross's screen time, she's off by six, she's six percent ahead of her, and you know, close to 60 percent below Dustin Hoffman. Um, This is one where screen time kind of plays a big factor for me. Uh, It's possible for, and looking, you know, looking, if you ever look at like the list of movies that got double leading nominations, um, there are some big differences that can, you know, be explained as they should have been in lead. Um, there was no fraud, but in this case, I think the difference is too big. And Dustin Hoffman's point of view is too, too dominant to, and consistently dominant to be, uh, for her to be a co-lead along with him for her to not be supporting. Um, I let's see. She, I I think that her storyline kind of ends as well, like in, in the middle part of the film, um, it goes kind of, beyond a little bit beyond the middle middle 50 percent mark but um around like 55 or so percent she kind of fades away and the relationship between benjamin and what's her name elaine elaine um relationship between benjamin and elaine kind of takes precedent and becomes kind of an equally important part when you look at the whole story i think that So I think that both relationships, Benjamin, Mrs. Robinson, Benjamin and Elaine are kind of equally important in my mind um, to the narrative as a whole. Benjamin is the obvious constant factor in both of them. Um, And, you know, I I think this this is one where people would say, well, she has a even though she fades away, she has a leading presence. You never forget about her. Um, She pops up for a couple minutes, maybe five minutes total after the halfway mark. Um, I don't really think so. Like, you know, I don't, I don't think that that presence argument really works for me ever. Um, I don't think that that just because you don't, just because you keep a character in mind, you remember, you know, their influence on how she influenced Benjamin to be the way he is now starting off at the, in the middle and going to the end. Um, doesn't really mean she's the lead, you know, that's, that's not, that's not something that I buy into. Um, So yeah, that's where I am.
2: So I'm fine with her being in lead. Um, I understand
0: this is one of those
2: um, cases that people often bring up um, of um, a nomination where someone's sort of on the fence, um, where there's arguments for lead, there's arguments for supporting. um, And I can kind of see it going either way and working. Um, I suppose why I was okay with her being in lead um, were a lot of the reasons that I think uh, that Matthew said it didn't work for him. Uh, Her character has so much, there's like a world behind her eyes um, and there's such tragedy to her that I think is completely integral to the story and what makes it work and all the themes that it's playing into about growing up and entering the real world, uh, being forced into marriage or forcing yourself into a relationship and the uh regrets and hardships that come along with it um i i acknowledge that she is a secondary lead if she is a lead um behind dustin hoffman's benjamin who we are following for basically the entire story but she has such um, an important role in how the story plays out and where his character goes and the decisions that he makes um, that I was okay with her um, being nominated in lead, even though she does sort of trail off a little bit in the second half and then swing back around um, later on in the movie. So um, I think just due to the nature of her role and the importance of it, and she had just enough to do, and she's just enough of the conflict in the movie that um, I was okay with her being in lead and I chose not to disqualify her, even though I acknowledge that there are you know, perfectly valid reasons for why people say she is a, more of a supporting character.
1: So this is one of those scenarios that I find myself kind of defending the lead status here in the vein of what I just spoke about with Vanessa Redgrave. And I'll get to that in a second. I want to point out this is – when when people think of The Graduate today, they're not thinking of Dustin Hoffman. They're not thinking of Catherine Ross. It's Mrs. Robinson. It's Anne Bancroft. I mean, we all have seen that clip. I think she was doing a press junk in for Heartbreakers where the the press guy was like, oh, Mrs. Robinson's here. And she's like, oh, really? Where? This was a role that became pop culture zeitgeist. I mean there's there's literally the song please Mrs Robinson da 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 like hello it's 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 insanity the 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 icon status of this role and that alone is the power of what Anne did here in her presence as Mrs Robinson I mean it, it it's no it's no doubting factor and I she spoke on this many times she was the fantasy for many young boys at that time. And I'm sure women too. Um, and that alone is pretty impressive. Um, now, granted, icon status doesn't instantly <laughs> mean lead. You know, I get that. I just want to point that out there. This is the type of role that did that. Now, getting to what I was saying with Vanessa Redgrave, the movie really gets going when she shows up. The movie's plot comes from Mrs. Robinson. The whole reason why we see what is it, Benjamin? Yeah. Benjamin do this and what he goes through is because of Mrs. Robinson. You take her out, there's no movie. There's no reason for anything to be happening. I can't put someone in supporting who is that big of um big of a play into the entire storyline. Um you know, this is this is too big in my mind to be able to do that. I mean, when you kind, when all these years later, the graduate is still remembered for Mrs. Robinson. It, I think it's that big of uh, of a stamp on the film for her, and that alone, she's a lead for me there. Now, if if we had done the graduate in our first season before we uh, before I really started to you know, develop and grow from my original reasoning for lead and supporting, then I'm pretty sure that I would be like, oh, screen time, Mm." well, here it is. But now I can look at this, hear both of your thoughts that are both amazingly well put, and be like, I could see that, but I still have to put her here. So that's why I think she's a lead. Well, what do you guys think? Mrs. Robinson and Bancroft, the graduate. Is Matthew correct? Is she supporting? Are Academy Queens correct? Is she a lead? Add us, let us know. It's up to you guys. All right. The next one is The Hours, Julianne Moore. The story of how the novel Mrs. Dalloway attracts three generations of women, all of whom, in one way or another, have had to deal with suicide in their lives. All right. So here's one where I am defending my honor because I am by myself here. I say Julianne Moore is correct in supporting. Brandon and Matthew say, "Uh uh-uh. She's a lead, so let me state my case. Julianne Moore. Let's talk about The Hours to begin with. This is a movie that is three stories in one. It is completely, um, as a film, it is centered with a theme, and that is this novel, right? And then the stories come out from this novel— through Virginia Woolf, uh, into Julianne Moore's character of Laura, into uh, Clarissa, who is played by Meryl Streep, it affects their lives one way or another, as stated earlier. Okay. So the reason why, and I said, and I'm going to also understand what I've said already, is that with supporting, sure, I say that most of the time you can take a character out of the movie and the movie could still survive. Now, let's say you take Julianne Moore out of her story. That's a chunk of the movie gone. The movie wouldn't survive. I recognize that. However, here's the issue that I have putting her in lead. In my mind, leading actors, actresses, leading co-stars, co-leads, have to fully be able to run the entire film on their own. They can't do that here. Because they are separate stories. Therefore... There is not a centralized lead. There is not a central character. There is not any of that. Laura isn't any more lead than Virginia Woolf. Uh, Laura isn't any more lead than Clarissa. They're each small pieces of their own story for the entire story. So this may sound weird. Do I consider the story than the lead? Absolutely. Now, Andrew Carden had said something pretty Pretty, pretty great, actually. I think he has got a point. He's like, well, I there's no way in hell that Julianne Moore is supporting because that if that's the case, that means she is on the equal playing field of someone like Tony Collette. I get what he's saying, 100%. But here's the thing, Andrew. I can't, I can't see it that way. Uh, you put Julianne Moore in lead, that means she's centralized to the story, and she's not here. She's centralized in her part of the story, but not the entire film. So, Matthew,
0: you're up. First of all, Julianne Moore in the film she has 24.1%. Um, she's in the middle of the group. Meryl Streep has 28.3, and Nicole Kidman has 20.5. Um, so they're all between 20 and 28. Um, what is more, that kind of that's kind of telling right there. But what's more important is their storylines. I've also broken that down, um, not just their time on screen, but the, but the you know this how much of the story is 1923 1951 and 2001 um the first Nicole Kidman story that's um about 32% of the film uh Moore's is 38 and Streep's is 43 ish and, and there's some overlap obviously that's that's over 100% but there's some you know there's obviously some overlap um with the stories uh so you know just the fact that their storylines are equal and they all kind of lead their own story they all definitely do lead their own storylines um, makes me see them as as all three clear leads um, their storylines are separate and they you know uh, lead them pretty clearly uh, I think that yeah and, and going off of that degrees of supporting thing like she's not the same type if she was to be in supporting she would be different. She would be ahead of Tony Collette. Tony Collette's in, I don't even know five minutes or so. Um, there are degrees with supporting characters. There's degrees of you know. But I just think she's a she's a lead because she leads her own storyline. Um, she that's that's kind of my only thing. I just can't see them as a, like an ensemble. Um, I'm fine with there being three leads. I know that uh, there are others who. Don't buy into that argument that there, there can only be one or two um, people aren't comfortable with three or four or more. Um, I'm fine with three in this case with there being such clear separate storylines. Um, that's, that's my only point there. So
2: I am um, agree with Matthew. This is a movie that I see as having three leads. Um, I don't think a person has to be in an entire film beginning to end in order to be considered a lead. Um, you know, this is a movie with three stories and um, each one has a character who leads it. So I consider um, Nicole Kidman, Julianne Moore, and Meryl Streep all leads in this film. Um, So that's why I um, disqualified Julianne Moore uh, when we did that episode. Um, I guess I don't, I'm not sure what else to say that Matthew hasn't already said. Um, For me, I mean, this is a, I don't consider this an ensemble film, even though this has a sizable cast. Because to go back to what Andrew Carden had said, I don't, I can't put Julian Moore on the same playing field as anyone else in the film who's not um, Meryl Streep or Nicole Kidman. Um, those um, are the three people who are at the forefront of their sections of the movie. Also, if I recall correctly, Julian Moore is the only one who, you know bleeds into another story. Um, I think Matthew um, mentioned that a little bit too. So um, she has that going for her as well. So um, yeah, all things considered, I consider uh, Julianne Moore um, a co-lead in this film. Well, I hear you guys.
1: And I say again, I just can't see this film without a centralized character having a lead. Um but I love what you had to say, and anyone listening. Most of the time, I'm by myself on this one, so I'll be surprised if anyone actually agrees with me on this. But what do we think? Is Matthew and Brandon right, or am I right? Add us. Let us know. Before we move on, we have another question from yet another ACO six, A C C O six. I'm gonna kind of uh, twist on this uh, question though, because. What are your top five worst cases of category fraud? Why don't we stick with the worst one we can think of right off the top of our head? Brandon?
2: Um, I suppose just because I was thinking about it earlier for some weird reason, um, Timothy Hutton in Ordinary People, um, for some reason I had that movie on the mind randomly earlier. So um, hearing that question, um, that's the first one that comes to my mind.
0: Going to go back way back and say richard burton my cousin rachel um which i know isn't something maybe many of your listeners have seen but um his uh he's in 85 percent of the movie um it's all about him and his arc and what he does and and follows him the whole time um that's the one that always comes to mind and for good reason for me
1: I love that we all ended up choosing men here because I'm also going to go with a guy. And I love that you threw that Burton one in there because not many people actually, I feel, have seen that and know that one. So kudos. The one that instantly comes to my mind is one that people talk about all the time, though. And that's Anthony Hopkins in The Silence of the Lambs. Um, Ridiculous. Ridiculous to consider him a fucking lead. No. I'm just going to leave it at that. All right. All right. So, moving on to the artist Bernice Bejo. Um, by the way, has anyone seen her SOS? Find her. No one's seen her since the Academy Awards. Okay, cool. Uh, Brandon thinks she's supporting. The artist is about an egomaniac, egomaniac film star who develops a relationship with a young dancer against the backdrop of Hollywood's silent era. Brandon, state your case. Why is she supporting?
2: Um, this is um just a matter of me being okay with where she was placed. Um. Whenever I had watched the artist, um, I, I think I've seen it twice. Uh, back when it came out and it was, you know, up for all of its awards, and then I rewatched it um, for the show. For some reason, it never occurred to me that she might be a lead. Um, I just kind of considered her a sizable supporting part um, that fed into the um, leading role uh, played by Jean Dujardin here. Um, I know she does have, you know, an arc, and she sort of skyrockets in her fame, and she has all that, so I can see why, um, post-recording that episode, why there is a case to be made um, for why she could be considered um, a co-lead with him, but um, I guess prior to recording that episode, I had just always thought of her as um, a supporting player, um, there to add layers and tension and conflict to his story, even though she does sort of have her own little side plot going on. Um, So, yeah, I see the case for it, but I guess I've just never really seen it that way while watching the movie.
0: Let's see. Screen time for her is 29.6%, and then John Duterte's is 58 even, um, rounded up. So, again, he's one that doesn't quite dominate the film as much as one might think um part of what chips away at both of their screen times is the uh silence of the film because i when i do screen time i count um speaking off screen um so there's none of that happening in this movie uh so that kind of chips away at both of theirs and the title cards and everything um but again he doesn't at 58 percent he doesn't really dominate over her um he doesn't dominate the the narrative i think that's She's uh, more more of a secondary lead, and he's more of a primary one. But under the binary system of lead and supporting, she's got to go somewhere. Um, I choose to place her in lead rather than supporting because of how um, I see her arc as as important. Um, And she spends she gets some time development away from George and to be her own three dimensional character. And you know, I just see the film as kind of built on their stars born dynamic, the rising falling star um, dynamic. And I think she exists as more than just his love interest. That's how I envision her.
1: So the artist is one of those films that, and correct me if I'm wrong here. I mean, I haven't seen it since, I know we just did that episode since we recorded it, but um, someone jump in really quick the movie actually doesn't start with Jean Dujardin until what, like 15 minutes into it. Right. So like she's, she, it's just her story for the first 15. Right.
0: I think it starts with uh, his film premiere and he's there, you know, and he comes out after the film premieres and gives a bows and stuff. And she, I think it does kind of start with him that way. Um, He goes out and meets the crowd and she's in the crowd and, gets her picture taken and that's how she of. so the so the beginning kind of focuses on her when she um is discovered and gets um into the business and everything so um yeah it's not fully he's in there but it's not fully focused on it's it's more focused on her i guess you're right in the beginning although he is introduced at the beginning
1: so that that's where because her her placement here kind of um well, no, I, I shouldn't say her placement for the Academy, her placement for this argument kind of reminds me of Anne Baxter in All About Eve. You have this person who ends up rising as the star. Um, everything that gets going in the story is because of, you know, her want and, uh, you know, her her path. And Jean Dujardin's character, while is a lead, yes, and is, you know, the co-lead here. I mean, this is a dual story that gets told from two perspectives throughout this entire film. So, right there alone, I mean, that's a lead character. So, I mean, I'm going to keep this one short and sweet. I think she's the lead. I think that's why. And that's it. All right. What do you guys think? Berenice, lead, supporting, add us, let us know. All right. So, a little side here. Ronaldo Sosa. I want Matthew to tell Joey how the fact that a movie has an ensemble doesn't automatically make everyone supporting. Before he jumps in on that, I responded with a direct definition of what does an ensemble cast mean. In a dramatic production, an ensemble cast is one which comp... Oh, I'm sorry, because I can fucking read today. In a dramatic production, an ensemble cast is one which comprises multiple principal actors and performers who are typically assigned roughly equal amounts of screen time which means there is not a lead. They all play a part. So, Matthew, tell me off. You agree with Ronaldo? What do you think?
0: No, there's you, there's no need. I remember that exchange, and I can't remember if I chimed in, but I thought about it. Um, just to agree with you about the definition of an ensemble is there is no lead. Um, I The problem is, and... I've said this somewhere to someone on Twitter. The problem is that people use, um, the term ensemble incorrectly. Um, you know, you use it correctly. You say ensemble means everyone is supporting. That is, that is the correct way to use it. Um, others don't mean that when they say ensemble sometimes, uh, you know, and that's what kind of bugs me about certain, um, critics groups and and awards groups that give out ensemble or you know cast prizes if if you know if you give out an ensemble award um you can and call it the ensemble award you can't nominate one of those people in a lead category um because you're saying this is an ensemble but there are leads it doesn't make sense semantically um that's you know sag changed that they call it Perform- best performance by a cast now so they can get away with um, putting you know like for instance Ma Rainey the two leads from them from that movie um, they're nominated in lead but they're called a cast in the what used to be a, the ensemble category now um, but yeah you're you're correct in correcting him about the about the definition of it I just think that the whole issue is that people use that word wrong Um yeah
1: and to that, Ronaldo,
0: I say Nana na Boo.
1: <laughs> there you go. Well, speaking of the actor from Ma Rainey, let's dive into a big one and a recent one Viola Davis in Fences. This is an example where Brandon and I agree that she is in the wrong category here. And Matthew, I'm very interested to hear this one. You think she's supporting? offenses. A working-class African-American father tries to raise his family in the 1950s while coming to terms with the events of his life. So, Matthew, floor is yours. Sell us on why Viola Davis is actually in the crack category here.
0: Okay. Uh, to begin with her screen time, she's in 38.6%. Um, Ninzel Washington, uh, who's nominated in lead, was in 67.5%. Um, and I've done the whole cast. So I'll just read off the last one, or the, the only one that I'm going to mention in my argument um, Jovan Adepo who plays their son, Corey, their, their, their son that they've had together. He has several um, he's in 25.3%. So moving on from that. um, Yeah. He uh, I think that she's supporting because she kind of doesn't play an active role in most of the film. I think that she, that's, that's my first argument is that her role is only active in the third quarter. Or so that's the only part that really focuses on them her and troy and their marriage um i think the rest of the film and even that part of the film um focuses on troy only it's the troy story i don't see it as the troy and rose story except for in the third quarter um and that's just not enough for me to consider her a lead um even though even when um troy makes his exit at what i have is 82 percent of the film he, he leaves there um and it carries on for about 13 percent after that 18 minutes um even then when he's gone she doesn't lead that last part she kind of half does she kind of splits it with adepo who plays Corey, their son um if you play that back if you watch those 18 minutes for most of that for a lot of that half of it or so she's doing what she's done for the first half of the movie um, bustling around, yelling at everyone to get ready, um, playing around in the kitchen, stuff like that. And then she, she has some moments where she comes, talks to Corey, expresses her feelings, but it's about half and half. Um, and Corey, you know, gets the rest of those moments. Uh, I think that she, again, I just think that she isn't quite, act, she's not active enough at all to rise to lead status for me. I think it's, um, a story about how Troy, um, it's it's a story about him and how he affects the the supporting characters who are the rest of the cast. Um, sh- she is also you know in the long suffering wife trope category, um, which and I think most of those are supporting roles. Um, there's a difference between wives and love interests too. I feel like I need to point out like for instance like. Um, Reese Witherspoon has about the same amount of difference between walking Phoenix and um, walk the line, but she isn't a wife character. She's a lead love interest. Um, it's not the same as, you know, wife characters. I do think are leads that, you know, would include like Alicia Vikander and the Danish girl, um, but her role is bigger. It's closer to Eddie Redmayne's. It's more developed. I think it's more constantly um, her POV is more constantly shown and explored. Um, yeah, that is, um, yeah, I just think that she isn't active enough for me. She's, she's more, most of her role is spent um, playing sometimes a background role, playing sometimes just a supportive wife um, type role. She gets some development in the third quarter, but that's not enough for me. And it's, the story is really all about Troy and how he affects his family.
2: So Viola Davis in Fences is um, kind of a mix for me, reasoning-wise, as um, Ann Bancroft and Bernice Bejo. Um, with Bejo, you know, I just kind of always saw her as a supporting player, and it never really occurred to me that she might be lead. Um, that's kind of how I've always felt about Rose and Fences. Um, this is a play that I've read, I've seen on stage, and I've seen the film, and I've just always seen Rose as completely integral to the story even if she's not necessarily the primary driving factor of a lot of the plot Um, because like Anne Bancroft in The Graduate there is a whole world of hurt and tragedy at the core of this character and part of what makes her and the film so interesting is a lot of it has to do with those long-suffering wife tropes and um, part of what makes the the story so heartbreaking in the end is all the things that she actively sacrificed or turned the other way from and how that is all coming to a head right here um, on the day uh, this play is set. So even if she's not, you know, the one with the most screen time or the most lines uh, hogging up all the air on the street, like Troy is, um, I just find her to be, too important, um, to be in supporting. Um, I guess, uh, plot wise, you could say she's secondary to Troy, but thematically, I feel like they're weirdly on a similar level, even though it might not immediately read as such on camera. And, um, I understand, uh, film and theater are two different media and we consume them differently. And I wonder how much, um, the camera lens is robbing us of Rose's importance in the story. Um, Because when you're watching something on stage, you have the whole field of view of the proscenium. And even if Troy is interacting with someone else, you can see what the actress playing Rose is doing. On film, all we're allowed to see is what the camera sees. So if Viola Davis is off screen, even though she's in the scene, it kind of hurts her in that way. Um, it makes it seem as though she is even less than she actually is, I feel. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe it is different, uh, Rose's importance in the uh, play versus the movie. I don't know, but, um, she's just one who I have just always seen as a co-lead. Um, A lot of it having to do with um, thematic reasons more so than than plot, I suppose. So
1: I want to start this off for those. And I think I mentioned it in that episode that we did on this. This was an instance of category fraud to where even Denzel Washington is on record saying he has no idea. I mean, we all know why, but he has no idea why Viola Davis was campaigning and and supporting because he he even himself said she's elite. So I want to throw that out there. So take that information with whatever you want. Now, I have said this about this performance in particular a lot. This is the purest example of what I was saying earlier. If she is a supporting for this type of movie in this type of role, that means you can take her out of this movie and the movie could still survive. It can't. Viola Davis is one of two storylines that is happening here told through I'm sorry, one of two people for the same storyline that is being told through two separate POVs. I make such a stupid little joke with this. If you take her out of this movie, the movie goes from being called Fences to Gate because that's how small this movie would become. It would become like a short film. Um, you just can't. I mean, <laughs> Baby Clyde, shout out to Baby Clyde. One of my favorite things that Baby Clyde has ever said is calling Viola Davis out at a Q&A and saying, we all know why you went supporting here. Oh, oh, oh hold on. Let me, let me rephrase this. Sorry, I can say this right. Baby Clyde <laughs> said to Viola Davis to her face, you had a category fraud yourself a win because you category frauded yourself in the help. We all know why you actually did that. And I was like, God damn, that's amazing. Um, So go, Baby Clyde. But, yeah, this is one where it just doesn't work. Um. I mean, it really doesn't. And if you're having the producer of the movie even say it, I don't really know how there's an argument outside of that. Even though I'm not saying after not bringing up great, great, you know, bringing up a great case for it, I just don't see how a film works with her if she's not the lead. Um, I don't know. I'm 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 gonna leave that at that. Do you guys have anything else you want to add to Viola Davis?
0: I, I was interested in what Brandon was saying about um. In the play she probably does uh, you know you kind of see her as more of a lead because you can see her all the time and 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 the structure of the play is different from the structure of the film um it kind of doesn't make sense to me why denzel washington to me because i see her as supporting to you guys it doesn't make sense because you see her as leads but it doesn't make sense to me why denzel washington would make those comments about her being misplaced if he was the director and made those directorial choices and pointed the camera where it was um, pointed. So um, he's the one that kept her off screen more than he thinks she should have been. Um, he kind of answers his own question with that. Uh, it kind of, it, when Brandon was talking about the difference between, you know, how a play is presented and a film is presented or adapted, um, it kind of made me think of Chicago. And I, in that case, in the film, I consider um, Renée Zellweger the sole lead, and Catherine Zeta-Jones supporting. Um, that's where they were placed. But I know that some people think Catherine Zeta-Jones is a lead, um, and I know that some people feel that way because she, Velma, is you know more of a lead in the play. I would say she is a lead in the play. It's evenly her and Roxy's story. The film, the way it was adapted, um, t- takes place entirely inside Roxy's head, so it is her you know, story only. Um, Velma's just part of it. That's how I see, that's how I think this play was adapted as well into, into Fences the film. Um, it doesn't, it's obviously not the same. It's, it's, it's not taking place inside Troy's head, but I think it almost might as well be. Um, again, except for that third quarter where they kind of, she kind of steps up and takes an active role before going back down to where she was. Um, I think she just, and just to reemphasize, I think she and Corey, the son are on equal footing um, as characters narratively. And if he's not a lead, then neither is she in my mind. Um, she's necessary to the plot. Um, can't be removed. I don't think he can either though. Um, neither can, uh, you know, um, lions is important. The older son Gabe, is important. The brother. Um, I think they're all, necessary characters, but Troy's the one who's, like, inextricable completely. Uh, I just can't, you know, again, I can't put her and Corey in lead. I have to put them in supporting in, in the way I sort it out. If you're looking at just the plot and all that, and who's, you know,
2: primarily driving the plot, and um, who's at the heart of all of the conflicts, um, with that being Troy, I can definitely see why... Um, they are on different levels in that regard. Um, so, you know, I don't begrudge anyone who says that Viola Davis is correctly in supporting, also considering the adaptation of it all and the way the camera does tend to focus on Troy and revolve around him. It keeps him at the forefront of just about everything until he does depart. You know, in, in that way, I, I see that argument. Um, I guess I just look at the story a little bit differently and um, considering um, what August Wilson is exploring here, um, the family dynamic um, in this very specific place, in this very specific time as part of his century cycle. Um, I think there's too much going on with Rose that keeps the story together um, that uh, kind of bumps her up to lead for me, even though she's not the one you know, physically moving the plot forward in the same way Troy is. And there you have it. Do you guys agree is uh,
1: Academy Queens correct here with saying that, you know what, Viola Davis, you're a lead? Or is Screen Time Central and Matthew here saying, "Mm, she's supporting, let us know. I do want to do a quick comment before we get to our main course here. Um, Mr. Reese's Cups says, I want to hear y'all cover the Viola Davis trio of The Help, Fences, and Ma Rainey. Uh, I agree with Matthew that she was probably categorized fucking reading today. I agree with Matthew that she was properly categorized in every instance. I know you feel each one was fraud. Asterisk on that, though. Number one, we will not really dive into Ma Rainey until we do that episode after the Oscars. However, I, Joey, have stated that um, this Viola Davis I've said out on Twitter has not had a properly placed Oscar category since Doubt. I say all the ones have been fraud. I do know Brandon says she's leading the help. I'm gonna disagree on that one. And I don't know where he stands on Marini, so I just want to throw that out there. That was me, not him. Do you guys just have anything you wanna say off of that before we move on?
0: Um just to Yeah, emphasize that yeah, I think that she I think Reese um made the point that I think she has never frauded. I think she belonged in clearly I think she belonged in supporting um infenses and then she was properly placed in lead with the help and Ma Rainey. Um, yeah, but we don't have to really dive into that. I, th- I just think she we're totally disagreeing with those. Um, but yeah, I think she's never frauded so far.
2: Yeah, I'll, of course, leave Ma Rainey out of this because we have not yet recorded that um, episode. Um, of course, you know, doubt. She is obviously in the correct category in supporting. There's no way her character is a lead in doubt. Um, I did think that she was a lead in the help, Um I do not see The Help as an ensemble piece in the traditional sense. Um, I think she is too central to it. The movie focuses on her too much and she's uh, at the heart of it all, pushing the story forward in her own way. Um, So I saw her as a a lead in it. So I um, do think she was correct there. Um, Fences is, um, as of what we've recorded so far, the only uh, placement that I have uh, an issue with, personally. And there you
1: have it, Reese's Cups. So, our cream of the crop, the creme de la creme, the most requested, specifically by Andrew Carden. Not once, not twice, but three whole times for this episode. Andrew Carden says, Joey versus Matthew on Geraldine Page and Interiors, please. Popcorn emoji. Dum, dum, dum. So here we go. Ready? Interiors. Three sisters find their lives spinning out of control in the wake of their parents' sudden unexpected divorce. That is the IMDb blurb about what Interiors is about. Geraldine Page was nominated for Best Actress in a Leading Role. I say she is supporting. You two say she's lead. So let me state my case. Okay. Interiors, as everyone refers it to, Woody Allen trying to be Bergman. We know what it is. There it is. I've stated it before. I'm not a huge Woody Allen fan. I'm definitely not a Woody Allen fan. And Interiors is no different. So Interiors is a a story about a family, and it really focuses on the sisters now, it focuses on the sisters and the point that the story is told through three different POVs, mainly two because the third sister really doesn't show up until the last, what, half an hour or so. Um, so Diane Keaton and Mary Beth Hurt. Um, here's the thing. Geraldine Page is never telling the story. here. It's never in her POV. She, in my eyes, and I'm, Matthew's going to bring in the screen time here because I don't have it in front of me, doesn't have the screen time for it. So there are three things. The parents' divorce is a part of the story. It is not the main story. It is never about the actual divorce. It is about the family recoiling from what's going on around them. I said in that episode, if there was to be a lead-in here, it is honestly Mary Beth Hurt as Joey. As she, from memory that I have of this film, um, has the most moments of a POV. Um, Paige is... So frauded here that it I don't understand people's fascination with this one. Um I don't I don't see it. I I'm so interested in hearing how you guys want to put her in lead here. But the truth is, if you watch the film, it's not about her at all. So that is why I say, uh uh-uh, Academy, you got it wrong. She is not the lead here. She is supporting. This is an ensemble cast. Matthew, what say you?
0: All right. Um, again, I've timed the whole cast, which is eight cast members, but I'm not going to read them all. I'll just read um, the sisters and Geraldine Page. Um, Geraldine Page has 22.3%, and then the uh, Diane Keaton has 338 um, playing Renata. Uh, Mary Beth Hurt has 320 playing Joey. And then Kristen Griffith um, only has 130 Flynn. Um, so right there, that you know, just to point out that the uh, um, Keaton and Hurt are close, within like two percent of each other. Um, Griffith is is way below them at thirteen percent. So the, the question of her being elite I think we can throw out. Um, not just based on her screen time, but uh, that's that's a big factor of it. And and she's just so uh, gets so much less focus than them that um, and it's not consistent at all. It's like twelve minutes. Um, I agree with the assessment that, you know, the film is about um, the three sisters lives um, kind of spiraling out of control because of the divorce. But I do think that, you know, and in, in you, you were, in J- you, Joey said that um, it's mainly focused on two points of view, um, Renata's and Joey's. I think that I see it as um, Renata, Joey and Eve's point of view is being explored um, in relation to the divorce. I think that we do see, how the divorce affects Eve, the one who is going through it, that did not initiate it, the husband did. Um, he's the one who gets the plot going and Keaton Hurt and Paige are the ones who were affected by, um, and, and their arcs developed from his decision to divorce Eve. Um, I think that also, you know, her screen time is low compared, you know, compared to all the, actresses who've been nominated for lead actress at 22.3 but um in the context of the film and compared to everyone else in the film um the highest being Diane Keaton with 34 percent um her time isn't Paige's time isn't that low by comparison um and I can't see this as an ensemble myself um because I think that it's got like I said I think it's got three leads who get their points of view explored. Maybe the daughters, Renata and Joey, um, or definitely they get a little bit more focus. I do think Eve um is afforded plenty um of consistent focus and we kind of get to see how she is um handling what has happened to her. Um and how it and, and it and she has an arc that she goes through. Um I think I don't, and it, you know, I don't think you were making the ensemble argument. I'm not sure you might want to um, respond to that about, I'm not sure what you said about um, if it's an ensemble or if you think Keaton and Hurt are leads, um, but that's all I have to say.
1: So I'll respond to that really quick. Um, I, I do th- see interiors as an ensemble. Um, I said, if there were to be a lead, I think it would be Mary Beth Hurt as i from watching this a couple of times uh, r- really remember that there is a focus on Joey. Uh, so that's, that was that, but hopefully that answered that question. Uh, Brandon, what do you, what, what do you say about this one?
2: So I do not consider interiors and an ensemble either. Um, I don't think the cast is um, equal in their importance. There are some who are, um, more important than others i guess you could say um eve might not have the most screen time and she might not always be the most active presence in the plot but i think that is largely due to the nature of her character which um, plays into one of the major conflicts of the film um so interiors is a movie i've seen twice Uh, i watched it for the first time back when we recorded that episode and it affected me profoundly in a way that um i threw up barriers and pushed the movie back uh because as you know listeners have heard i've dealt with depression for a long time i've been pretty open about it and i actually rewatched this movie not too long ago like right before it was decided that geraldine page would be one of the uh one of the topics here. I just kind of watched it and it was kind of funny. You guys decided Page was going to be one uh, interesting coincidence there. Um, I finally, after a couple of years, built up the courage to rewatch the movie. And um, this is one of the strongest um, examples of depression on screen that I've seen in a long time. And I don't just mean Geraldine Page's performance, but the complete aesthetic of the film. Um, The production design and the lighting, the cinematography, all just physicalize depression. And that's a conflict with Eve, Um, how her mental illness, her mental state has affected her marriage um, and her relationship with her children and the conflicts that come from that, which in turn worsen her mental state, which ultimately leads her to the final decision that her character makes at the climax of the film. Um, So even though she's not completely active in the plot, I think that's okay, because um, inactivity is kind of um, a symptom, I guess you could say, of depression. And um, it's kind of central to a lot of what's going on in this movie. Um, A lot of it is sort of on um, a subterranean level, but uh, I think she's a little bit too important um, thematically and even plot-wise to be put in supporting. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of what um, Matthew had mentioned earlier about Chicago being uh, told in Roxy's mind from Roxy's point of view. I don't think interiors is doing quite that but um, the fact that the production design and the cinematography so closely mirror what is going on inside Eve perhaps mirroring how she sees the world in these sort of muted um, beige and gray tones um, makes this character just way too integral to the to the way this story works um, for her to be supporting for me. Um, so that's why I'm okay with, um, Geraldine Page being in lead for interiors. And look at that, Andrew Carden.
1: I hope that was the brawl smackdown (laughs) that, you, you know, you had hoped for this whole time. So, um, I guess before we head out, a couple things, was anyone's mind changed in this
2: conversation in the last hour about this for any of these performances? Well, I've always been, a, you know, I try to be an open-minded person. I, I, I like my opinions to be malleable uh, in a certain way. So, I mean, I see the arguments for all of these uh, ladies we talked about today uh, being lead or supporting. Um, uh, there's, you know, we, we mentioned Anne Bancroft earlier. On the day we recorded that episode, I guess I saw her more so as supporting in Agnes of God. But um, since we've recorded that episode and i thought about that movie a little bit more, um, I see her a little bit more as a lead. Um, likewise, in our first season, um, I recall disqualifying Cicely Tyson and Sounder um, because I saw it as the son's story. Uh, he's the one we follow, and um, there are portions of the film where Cicely Tyson is absent, so... Um, when I was still kind of getting my footing over how I viewed lead and supporting, I disqualified Cicely Tyson on that day. I don't know if I would make that same decision today. Um, Perhaps I would see her more so as a secondary lead um, by how I see it. So um, I don't know if I would say my mind was changed at all, but um, I'm even more so open to
0: possibilities. Yeah. Um, Okay. First thing i want to mention is that um you know kind of reveal that uh page wasn't in our original agreed upon lineup um it was because of andrew that we decided to switch her in um we were going to talk about francis mcdormand and fargo but you know andrew was so excited to see to hear us talk about page that we um agreed to talk about her so given the fans what they want um, You know, and then I just want to, you know, kind of close with, well, first of all, um, it's interesting that you mentioned um, Cicely Tyson and Sounder, um, because, you know, when when I finished um, going through all the performances that have ever been nominated and and categorizing them and seeing who was misplaced or not, um, I said that she was correctly placed in lead. I said that she and Paul Winfield both were correctly placed in lead for that film, Um, and the argument I used was uh that they that their adult perspectives were necessary to the narrative. Um you couldn't remove their adult perspectives to be able to fully understand the story being told. Um and that happens with a lot of child leads, you know, and I say child leads the, the you know, just because they're a child doesn't mean they're supporting like some what like the Academy tends to think. Um he David is a lead, um, but so are his parents because you need their perspective to fully understand what's going on. He couldn't be he couldn't tell the full story at his age and we'd miss some important thematic things. And that applies to several movies about, you know, a kid and his parents or, you know, um, the just, and then just to close, um, I think that a lot of times category placement depends on the specific viewers, um, perspective. You know, we all view films differently, and have different experiences that we bring, you know, to watching the films. Um, We relate to and remember various characters differently. Um, So that can affect how you, whether you see a character as a lead or supporting, whether you see them as central or not. Um, Yeah, that's all I have. And all I'm gonna say to this
1: is I loved this. I'm so glad we got to finally do this. You heard three very different perspectives on how this works. You heard perspectives from every angle possible right now. So hope you guys liked it. Uh, Matthew, where can people find you?
0: Plug away, sir. Okay. Um, I'm on Twitter at Matthew A. Stewart. Um, I have started writing for Gold Derby. You can find me on there. And my website is ScreenTimeCentral.com.
2: And, Brandon, anything to plug before we head out? Um, Nothing to plug, but um, I've decided binaries are stupid and inhuman. You know? It's just silly trying to put people in boxes. So there we go.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Brandon says, no boxes. There None. You go. None. Well, I've got nothing to plug, I guess, except for I was... I've been getting a lot of shit from people like sliding into the Academy Queens DMs or my DMs that I'm so, that I was oh, for a while now that I should get a letterbox. Really try to avoid this because I don't need to be on my phone any more than I am. So I got yelled at again today. So I guess if you guys want to follow me with quick takes, Joey Gentilly one. Other than that, I don't give a shit. Um, all right, that's all I got. Uh, Matthew, thank you so much for coming on. Brandon. Awesome, per usual. Hope everyone had fun. And on the count of three in unison, let's bid farewell. One, two, three. Farewell.
2: Farewell. farewell.